Hello and welcome to another episode of Law Stories. My name is Linda Thompson. I'm Megan Talbot. I'm Debbie Kobani. And today we are joined by... Chris Harding, or in terms of um, being an author and something more official, Christopher Harding. (laughs) (laughs) A professor of law in this place. That would be Aberystwyth University. (laughs) Aberystwyth University, yeah, at the moment, yes. Um, So today we are going to talk about how the law infiltrates um, areas, I suppose, common to the general public, so things like music or theatre, TV, etc., and how you can use that during teaching. Yes, indeed, yeah, and and research, in fact. Uh, Yeah, Um, so to tell a kind of story um, about how, I think, increasingly over the last 30 years or so, I have been tapping into these sources, um, you know, whether it be uh, literature, uh, for instance crime literature is a good example, um, things which have been dramatised either in feature films in the cinema or TV dramatisations, dramatisation in theatre, um, other media such as uh, music and visual art. Uh, as places where we, we have very interesting and important discussion of subjects like law, legal system, crime, criminal justice, and using those sources, those media, as a way of um, carrying out research, so it's kind of research data, research material, and also, and uh, I think very significantly, increasingly in, in teaching. Uh, as a way of getting across to students as an audience what these subjects are about, their relevance, and what we can pick up from that often fictional or dramatised version of the subject and, and learn from that. And I've been doing that increasingly, and others in in. Aberystwyth have also, I think, been doing it. I mean, notably uh, my colleague Richard Ireland, um, or going back about 20 years now, um, Melanie Williams, who, when she was in the department, as a um, kind of law and literature expert. Um, mm. Now, law and literature is, is a term which is often used to describe that kind of approach, and I think now that's perhaps a, a rather limited term mm. because it's suggested that it's just certain kind of literary writing, whereas in fact, as I was saying, I think it's much more, it's, um, it, it can extend to music and, and art and sculpture and all, all sorts of media which we see around the world. Which seems a bit quite surprising really, doesn't yeah. it? Think of a sculpture representing the law. Uh, I'm more interested in the literature part of the law, like I would mm. have loved to do that if it was still available, law and literature. Yes. yes. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But I mean, going back to the, the example of sculpture, here's a very nice um, instance of that. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Geneva, mm. um, right in the centre of Geneva, because there are a fair number of international organisations have got their offices and so on in, in Geneva. And, um, and, and the United Nations has a big presence there, and um, there's a big presence of human rights organisations, both governmental and non-governmental. Anyway, bang in the middle of Geneva, there is this very interesting large sculpture in a big open public space, which is a broken chair, a chair 
with one of the legs missing. And this sculpture is all about landmines, the damage which has been caused through the use of landmines land with um, innocent people stumbling across them, um, losing their limbs as a result. And, yeah, and there, there we have a picture for you to have a look at. Oh. Um, Would we be able to put that up? Totally. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and it's associated and commemorates the um, signing of the International Treaty um, banning the use of landmines. And, um, and now, isn't that such a good example of trying to communicate to a wider audience what this is all about? And it's using that quite potent image of a familiar object like a chair, but it's broken. And so it's getting across the point that what's very familiar to us, our own human bodies, can so easily, in a moment, be broken and damaged yeah. in that way. And on top of that, I suppose, Geneva, obviously, with, given that it's so multicultural, um, you would need something like an image or like a sculpture, which would then be identifiable by all different languages and how they could then interpret that. So actually, something like that is quite powerful in, mm. in that sense. And of course, the law is exactly the same. The law isn't just in English. It obviously is in so many different languages. Yeah, and the images as well speak, they speak yeah. volumes. So um, for tourists and people coming down, once you see it, you want to know what is this. Mm. Then explaining it means people, yeah, yeah get. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, think about how that um, image is being used yeah. as a way of communication, um, overcoming, as you say, first of all the language barriers mm. because you don't need to use a particular verbal language um, it's this is all semiotics then isn't it, it it's it's how you use a symbol uh, as a proxy for the idea and uh, and so then the symbol using a very familiar bit of furniture to illustrate the serious but easy damage which can occur uh, you don't have to say anything I mean you, you've got that idea of something broken in a serious way and um, then again, um, communicating this idea through that medium in a public space where people are going to come, and um, so you've got your audience there, haven't you? Because yeah. you're saying, yeah, Geneva, a place where a lot of people will visit, a lot of people will be walking past that point, and you have this huge sculpture of the chair, which is going to grab their attention, and so they're going, to, what is that? And um, what does it all mean? Why is it there? And so it's, it's a way of engaging with an audience and getting across a, a significant, actually rather complex point, but in a very simple manner. There. Mm. And so at the end of the day, this is all about communication. Now we communicate our knowledge and understanding of something and put that across to as many people as possible. And uh, and to some extent, we come back to what you're. What, what are you doing in a university when you're teaching? You're carrying out research. Well, at the end of the day, all of that to be valid and worthwhile needs to be communicated. Yeah. And so we we are, or we should be, very much in the business of communication. And so back to the subject using these different media, it's it's a way of communicating knowledge, understanding, ideas, argument and 
getting that across to as many people as possible. And okay, you have your, first of all, your um, captive audience with your students or your little bit of research community there, but uh, it should be more than that. It should be getting across to all sorts of other people who can benefit from knowing about these things, understanding these things better, and that should be our business. And so I feel that we can actually do that business better, more effectively, if we draw upon these different media and, and use them in that kind of way. Yeah, and if the law naturally, um, I suppose, can be found in those outlets, then we should be using them to further develop and demonstrate the law. So, for example, yeah. um, with um, TV dramas or um, theatre productions, um, the law obviously is relayed in them because you have a story or you have like a crime drama that's happening um, and you, of course you would use the law to develop that but then that of course gives you an idea of the legal structure that is occurring the kind of questions that might arise the different elements that you might have to think about which if you hadn't had that outlet would you have known about in the first place? So crime dramas are really interesting because they rely on the law but usually they get it's super wrong <laughs> Oh, but is, is that true now? No. Um, because I, I think increasingly, um, and certainly let's look back over the last 20 years of what's been done in, um, in, in that genre of crime drama. And, uh, okay, fair enough. Go, go back further than that and take some examples from cinema. Now, I think sometimes then you get a presentation of a subject which can be misleading, which can be misinformed, which can be factually inaccurate. Uh, uh, but in more recent times, and I think particularly with a, a genre like crime drama, it has become more rigorous, more serious, and I, I think very often very, very well researched yeah. and can, can be very deeply reflective I just use one example just to illustrate that. I've recently been catching up on the American yeah. TV dramatization of Fargo. Uh, now, yeah. Fargo yeah. Go goes back originally, of course, to yeah. Coen Brothers' film um, in late 1990s, um, which um, was very interesting in itself as a presentation of um, crime, violence, policing activity that sort of subject in the American Midwest. Um, an unusual take on it in artistic terms and, and, and as a presentation of the subject through cinema. And it, it kind of triggered a, a, a new genre in within that field of crime drama. And then the TV series. Now, I, I didn't see the TV series when it was first put out. And so I've been catching up with it and through the very nice box set which I was given as a present and that sort of thing and it's taking its cue from the film and what have you got there as a genre well you've got that very um, from the point of view of public consumption and entertainment you, you've, you've got that very appealing subject of crime and violence yeah. I mean, that, that works well to grab people's attention naturally interested in that and of course it is socially important socially relevant uh, as, as a subject to think about. Um, but Fargo deals with it in a particular way. There's a mixture there of extreme violence sometimes, black humour, um, a 
kind of setting which is unusual in combining the ordinary with the extraordinary. Everyday life, these people in very, in some ways, very humdrum Midwestern communities suddenly confronted with an eruption of violence, of criminal activity. And so it brings these things together in a dramatic way. Now, it needs to be dramatic because, after all, it's drama. It's there to grab people's attention. And what drama can do in that way is then, having got the audience's attention, makes the audience start to think about the subject in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, and what's, what's, what's great about something like Fargo, I think, is that it's got those dramatic elements, but um, it's deep. Um, uh, there's a reflection there, for instance, in the second series, the second year, as they call it, um, going back to 1979, thinking about American society at that time, and thinking about a kind of shift in organised crime from being sort of family-based to being more corporate. Mm. And so what's it's telling the story of how the, um, the operation from Kansas City, which is more corporate, is trying to move into Dakota and take over the family-based um, criminal organisation there. And so, so then there's a kind of contest between the two. And then you've got the um, local police force drawn into this. And, and so a number of stories going on there. And I think some very interesting reflections, and sometimes quite moving reflections, on uh, how people get caught up in this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and so in the end, it, it's, it's, yes, it's about crime. It's about organised crime. Uh, it's about American society at a particular point in history. It's also about family life and, um, and the values that come out of family life and juxtaposing those values um, against the values of the organised crime people. And all that is going on in a very thoughtful way. And so I, I, I think it's great if that sort of thing can go out to a big audience, can capture attention, and it gets people thinking about the subject in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, Try to remember the, the name of the the little the pigeon girl who was killed a couple of years ago who was um, murdered. An American. I don't know whether you remember um, the beauty. She was in a beauty this child beauty pageant or something. Mm-hmm. That um, at at some point they had tried. The mom was a suspect, or so the family was. They brought it up twenty years after or yeah. last year. It came onto the news again and. Um, I think it was Fox News, or I don't remember what channel that had done, like going back and viewing. Like followed the story. Yes. Yeah. And also the um, the rapists um, story. There was also another one. They are all American cases anyway. Just bringing it back and people who either weren't there then or didn't have an idea of it, you get like this um, provocation from the society. They want you to go back and look into that case. Mm. Because obviously from the movie or from the the videos that they've seen or just going back all the, the I mean how the police had handled the case and so you get this chance that people want the case to be revisited. Yes, yeah, yeah. And and of course there you see an interesting um, convergence of mm. documentary filmmaking. Yes, yes, that's um, a, investigative journalism, yeah. all all of that. Um, and, and again, that parallels research activity, yeah, doesn't it, in a way? Yeah. Um, the, 
Um, the journalist as the investigator, the researcher, um, looking into a particular case. Mm. Um, and then the documentary film or the, um, the written-up account yeah. of that investigation. Um, and then how that can be transmitted in a certain way uh, so that you have a mixture there of documentary based on researched fact yeah. and a later dramatization or reenactment yes, yeah. of that. And reenactment then becomes important in the way of communicating what's going on to the audience. Mm. And again, going back to the example of Fargo, it starts off with this kind of literary device at the start of every episode where it says that this is true crime, what they call true crime. <laughs> well, what, what does that mean, actually? Yeah. Philosophically, that's a difficult concept. But um, And it says that um, these events actually took place in Minnesota in 1979 or whatever. Um, in the interests of those who survived, the names have been changed. In the interests of those who died, the facts are being... <laughs> stated as they actually occurred. Now, that immediately should make us start thinking about the, um, the whole philosophy of what's going on here, because you know, truth, fiction, yeah. um, and, and when we talk about these subjects, when we talk about legal process, when we talk about criminal activity, uh, uh, of course, a lot of what's going on is what people sometimes call the search for truth. You know, isn't a criminal investigation and a criminal trial a search for the truth? Yeah. But what is the truth? And yeah, do do we do we ever find the truth? And well, I would I would say no. <laughs> um, but there is no ultimate truth um, because what you find when you look at these situations, well, you just get the evidence, which is a number of people telling their version of what happened. Mm. You know, their story. Their, um, and that's like a criminal trial, certainly in the um, uh, the common law system where it's adversarial. Um, one person's account, another person's account. Mm. They might not correspond. How do you make up your mind which is the account, the version to believe? Um, mm. Where do you find the truth? Um, and even in an inquisitorial system, um, where you have the everything focused there with the investigating judge um, trying to get to the the real version of what happened, the truth. Do you ever find that? And, you know, and here's another example of another kind of medium. Reminds me of quite an old musical recording, a song from. Ooh, uh, almost 40 years ago now, I suppose. Um, maybe a band which aren't very well remembered now, I don't know, but Boomtown Rats came from Dublin, um, made a number of quite notable recordings. Um, and there's one of their lesser known recordings, I think it's from an album, where um, what's imagined in the song is a dialogue between a young Irish man and God. and the young Irish man is agonising about things in his life and, so, and he's talking to God, he thinks he's talking to God and he says, God, tell me, what is the truth? Where can I find the truth? And God says to him, Johnny, or whatever his name is, I'm going to let you into a big secret now. You're looking for truth. 
there is no truth. <laughs> that's God's answer. Well, that's deep stuff. Dialogue going on there um, about meaning of life and, and so on. And um, encapsulated in a few words, you know, a song or a poem, um, and getting that point across in a way which surely must communicate with a big audience there, putting it in those terms. So, again, I, 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 I think that there is a great deal of potential in these different media we're talking about to um, go from something which is an important subject, but you know, a complicated subject, something which is quite deep, and start to communicate that to a large number of people so that then a large number of people can reflect on it and start to think about it themselves and talk about it amongst themselves. So one of the sort of concerns I have about me certain forms of media representing the law is that the needs of legal education are different to the needs of dramatic productions in certain ways. For example, a dramatic production is always going to, you know, have what happens be the dramatically appropriate thing rather than the true or accurate thing. Mm. And, uh, and similarly, the legal system is actually very much invested in reducing the amount of drama that happens in the world. Uh, oh, you made a facial expression there. Oh, um, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. like, yeah. if you look at things like Law and Order, for example, is the big one. The mm. things that detectives do in Law and Order would, like, really not fly at all in a, in in a lot of modern police forces. Um, so I'm not sure how it can be. These things can be seen as good representations, and also, I worry that they might distort people's view of the system in general. Like we know, most cases just get solved um, out of court, right? And out of those that do go to court, particularly criminal, or out of those criminal cases that go to court, uh, like ninety percent or something are solved in magistrates' court and never go to um, jury trials at all. So, mm. yep. Well, I was going to. Sorry, yeah. I cut in, but I was yeah. going to ask for like an example because most of that representation is actually what happens. What? Yes, in, in like an example of because you, you you mentioned um, um, some of the things investiga investigators do can't yeah. happen in so I imagine it would be things like violence or the way yeah. that they approach or talk to um, yeah. their witnesses, etc. Intimidation of witnesses, yeah. interrogation the, techniques. The, the difference is that lie. it's not just one country watching this. What might be weird for you might be properly okay where I come from. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Certainly, and if like if I were doing a like a Nigerian uh, um, TV show of yeah. crime, I'd try and represent what was going on there. But I don't yeah. think it's necessarily about. Well, this is my opinion, of course, but I don't think it's necessarily about representing a hundred percent accurately yeah. um, what the law. <coughs> excuse me, what the law is in those situations. It's more about giving an idea of how the system works, because of yeah. course we can't let every, well to a degree you can't let people know exactly this is these are the exact questions that you are going to be asked yeah, in an interview yeah. if you have found yourself in this situation, mm -hmm. because one that wouldn't exactly happen. It's not staged like that, and two, um, it would be dangerous to do that kind of activity. 
it is only meant to give you an insight into a small understanding into what the system for example is like which is where sometimes as you say i think it can be dangerous for example they have that theory this is more of a criminology side but they have the theory of um, a csi effect Mm. so because of csi and a lot of people watching csi they then feel as if they can understand what happens in um forensic science and actually it's not like that at all of course is it so you have someone who might be a hair specialist but actually if they have have a specialist in understanding the genes within hair it might not necessarily be certain like the hair on your arms for example it might actually be an eyelash and that would be it that is their specialism so that one person in the lab looking at fingerprints looking at voice recognition looking at hair all the rest of it of course it's impossible and of course the people watching that wouldn't know that that would be impossible but at the same time it still gives that idea that actually these are things that can be explored and can be looked at and at the end of the day it is entertainment as well yeah well the csi effect is really interesting because when you look at it it actually has an effect on the justice system. The justice system, you could argue, does not work as well as it did before CSI was a thing. Because juries don't want to convict without forensic evidence anymore. They don't want to convict without a um, without fr- uh, forensic evidence anymore. And you, usually, you just can't get forensic evidence that easily. It takes a lot of time, and that can sometimes interfere with someone's right to a like a speedy trial. Um, and I worry particularly, and this is just my very particular personal interest worry, that the way particularly lawyers are portrayed on TV reduces public faith in the profession and makes people misunderstand how we do what we do. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. I, mean, I think Megan, you're making some very interesting points there. Um, we've the the first point um, a few minutes ago about um, misrepresenting what might very well be, for most of the time, a mundane, repetitive, um, tedious, frustrating, unexciting process, which a lot of legal work, a lot of police work, uh, is undoubtedly of that nature. Now, and, and of course, yeah, the danger is that the dramatic presentation, for example, makes it seem more exciting, makes it um, more seductive. This is really what we should all be looking at and we all want to be lawyers, we should all want to be police and so on because that's a really interesting and valuable um, role to play in in life and society. Um, And of course, in in that sense, yes, there can be a misrepresentation, but that's true, I suppose, of virtually any kind of occupation. and, and going back to Linda's point about the specialist who might just be dealing with certain types of hair. Mm. Um, well, for a lot of people, that is so specialised that it is going to be so boring. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, can't, you can't engage with that degree of specialisation very easily. So, yeah, yeah but, but, but there is that part of it, and, and, and there's a risk, and, and I think that um, it's an important that... Um, people who are receiving end of this kind of dramatic presentation are aware that they're getting the dramatic parts of it and not the everyday, 90% of the time, routine activity. But having said that, and then thinking about, for instance, how people are trained as lawyers, um, 
a university law course, even, even um, a more practically oriented training to be in a lawyer, inevitably does focus on the more, quote, interesting aspects, the more controversial aspects. Um, and th th think of a typical criminal law course. It deals with the exciting, controversial crime. It doesn't deal with the everyday crime, which is easy to, to prove, to, um, to investigate, and to deal with in a very routine way in, in courts. It deals particularly with homicide. Think how much of a typical criminal law course comes from the law of homicide. Now, homicide, fortunately, represents a very small proportion of total crime, but it gives us the, the difficult and the, the really problematical and challenging issues about how we define the criminal offence, how we prove it, how we deal with it afterwards. And so that's what's worth talking about. That, that, that's, if you like, the cutting edge of the subject. And so inevitably, when you're talking about training somebody, um, making them expert in the subject, there's a natural tendency to go for the, the difficult, the problematical, the controversial parts of the subject and to focus on those. And so in a way, I think you get, you get the same result even through the legal training as you do through the dramatic presentation of the law. Um, and again, it's important then that the person at the receiving end of the legal training is made aware of the fact, well, all of these very interesting issues about homicide. Uh, if you go into criminal law practice, <laughs> are you likely to encounter a homicide case? Are you likely to have these very challenging intellectual issues about mental states and that kind of thing, well, a lot of the time it's going to be routine. Yeah. What, what kind of evidence have you got there, and um, what's the procedure which is going to be used, how does the evidence fit into procedure, and a lot of that is going to be routine, everyday, small scale. Exciting stuff? I think in a short well, form, just appearance is not always reality. Just put it like that, that, make it easy for people to understand that, yes, I mean, it's blown up on TV, made to look interesting because it's entertainment is, you know, but in the real sense of it, it's sometimes not always like that. I'm sure people know that anyway. Uh, no, and of course, insofar as um, life is routine and predictable, then do we need to think about it so much? Um, do we need to worry about that so much? Um, give it our attention? And probably no, because by its nature, it's routine, it's easy to deal with. Whereas what we need to spend our time thinking about are the, um, the more controversial issues, the more challenging issues in moral terms or intellectual terms. And um, so that's why when we teach criminal law, first of all, we talk about these big, difficult cases, um, because that gives us an insight into what the subject is all about what the basics of the subject are, how we should understand it, what's the role of criminal law. That's an important social and political question for society. And similarly then, going back to the crime drama, yes, it focuses on this exciting, very often violent, uh, difficult to prove, politically and socially controversial examples of criminal activity. Uh, and the important role that that plays is it makes the audience think about crime 
generally crime as a concept, governance of society, um, not the procedural part so much, the um, everyday aspects of what's going on with crime and criminal law and criminal justice, um, but then do we really need to think too much about those everyday aspects? So long as we, we, we recognise, and the audience knows, that out there in the so-called real world, a lot of what happens is routine, is mundane. Um, as long as you're, you're not being deceived in that way, in, into thinking that um, um, society is full of crime, full of serious crime, because after all it's not, Statistically, we know that, and yeah, that's an important point to get across as well to the public and the electorate and so on. But um, but otherwise, I mean, insofar as we are talking about the big, important, difficult issues of life, then yes, we do. We are selective then, and the media, whichever media we're talking, medium we're talking about, whether it's uh, whether it's a dramatisation, whether it's a depiction in visual art or whatever, um, it's going to be selective. And again, if you're going to look at, you go to an art gallery and you see a picture which is um, depicting the everyday, does that grab the attention so much? Does it resonate so much as a more dramatic visual presentation? Um, I am Linda Thompson. I'm Megan Talbot. And I'm Debbie Kobani. And I'm Chris Harding. So uh, thank you very much uh, for listening. Uh, you can find Law Stories at facebook.com slash lawstoriespodcast, at Twitter at lawstoriespod, on Patreon if you'd like to support us. We do need financial support for hosting our episodes and things like that, so if you'd like care to support the podcast in that way, you'd certainly be welcome to. It's at patreon.com slash